0: You're listening to BDO Spotlight on SPACs, a podcast series for regular insights into one of the hottest trends in the capital market space. Joined by an exciting guest list, tune in to hear our hosts from BDO SPAC practice share their experiences and a wealth of knowledge around the rapidly evolving world of special purpose acquisition companies.
1: Hi, my name is Mike Stevenson, and I serve as the National Practice Leader for BDO's Accounting and Reporting Advisory Services Practice, and the National SPAC Practice Co-Leader. I want to welcome our guest for today's episode, BDO's Northeast Assurance Regional Managing Partner, and also National SPAC Practice Co-Leader, Demetrius Frangiscatos. Welcome, Demetrius. Thanks, Mike. On today's episode, Demetrius and I will discuss the current state of the SPAC market, as well as some of the events and triggers that got us to where we are today. As many of you are aware, uh, the SPAC market continues to receive a great deal of uh, activity, not only from a capital markets perspective, but also from a regulatory perspective. And we thought that we had some interesting topics to talk about today uh, to discuss some of those items. Let's kind of start with where we are now in the SPAC market. Uh, Looking at the SPAC market, you have to think about it, really that there's two sides to that story. Uh, The first, uh, being the new SPACs that are being launched or going public, uh, the second is really centered around what's classified, as, what, what what's it's termed as the DSPAC activity, uh, which is when uh, SPAC itself will will merge with a with a target company. It seems fairly obvious now um, that the level of activity of newly issued SPACs that the market saw back in the second half of 2020 and really continued and even accelerated through the first quarter of 2021 was extremely high. And while there have been some headwinds um, that we've seen to the SPAC market that we're gonna discuss here a little bit later, um, the volume certainly decreased uh, because of some of those headwinds. uh, But I think what we've seen is it subsequently has, has leveled off since then. Uh, since the end of that first quarter of 2021. Um, and has really been somewhat consistent with a couple bumps in the roads here and there. Um, now, and, and that's on the first side of the story. Now on the second side of the, the story, which is the DSPAC side, uh, what we're seeing in, in the marketplace is that activity is actually increasing. Um, it shouldn't probably be a, a big surprise to anybody given just the sheer number of SPACs that are out in the marketplace looking for uh, viable and valuable targets. It would seem that we could probably expect that type of activity um, to remain at this level and maybe increase uh, over the next coming months until at least the market works through the current SPACs that are out there looking for a deal or we start to see um, some of those expiration of the of the SPACs actually occur. Um, that, that's kind of a high level where we are. Let's kind of get into some of the details Um, of where we got to today and some of the things that are pressing, at least uh, uh, from some of the folks who were leading the SPAC charge. Now, back in April of last year, which is coinciding with when uh, we kind of saw a decrease in the level of SPAC activity, there was a sizable shakeup to uh, the SPAC world, and it really related to warrants and classification issues um, of uh, of some of the items and some of the instruments within the SPACs themselves. Uh, so maybe, Demetrius, i got a question here for you. Uh, how have the guidance around warrants and the restatements that we saw
0: related to those warrants impacted SPAC volume? Anybody who was in the SPAC community over the last 12 months has, has sort of um, been part of the roller coaster ride. And, and and you're hitting on one of the peaks and, and, and probably downfalls that, that we encountered earlier in the year so so to put in perspective i mean mike's questions around the warrants and 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 there was two critical things that happened around that april time frame right in 21 we had about 613 spacs, uh compared to 248 and 20 right and 298 of those happened in the first quarter of the year through through march um then april um the guidance from the staff comes out and and they put out a statement about the the treatment of warrants, which which many um, know and understand very well now, uh, where it didn't allow for equity classification and went to liability classification. And that combined with the pipe market slowing down, really put a a strong pause on on the whole SPAC market. And um, part of it was because of capital and and, and, a significant part of it was just trying to sort through, The statement, understand the implications. Um, um, The statement also resulted in a lot of financial statements having to be restated, new deals having to structure their warrants differently, um, work that through the system, through the attorneys, through the accounting firms, um, and that really delayed, um, you know, or or slowed down the 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 SPAC market considerably. um, Where you saw in the third quarter. You had about eight eighty nine um, spacs that that went live, and and then one hundred sixty six in the fourth quarter. So it was it was an interesting sort of pivot that happened. Um, it was I think I think the staff's um, you know staff the staff has been very vocal um, with regards to this market. Um, they've been very vocal about uh, disclosure and and, and um, sort of the, the differences between a traditional IPO and, and the SPAC IPO. And, and this was the first major statement that they put out that, that really had a dramatic impact uh, on, on the market. It seems like the market has now um, picked up, um, has vetted, it, vetted through this warrant issue, has worked through the restatements, um, and, and now is, is continuing, um, you know, w- the path that, that it had started at the beginning of the year. Maybe not at the same pace, but, but continue that path. So that's, that's sort of my view on, on the last 12 months and where we're at with regards to the warrant issue, Mike. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the interesting
1: things that we actually did see after, after that little pause and due to the restatements with the classification of the warrants, et cetera, I think we, we actually saw some changes as they as, as sponsors went through and designed what, what the metrics might look like in some of those interest, instruments going forward. So I, I, th- I, felt, I felt like that was an interesting kind of a, a t- turning point. You know, the, the other interesting aspect related to financial presentation of the SPACs, um, we're just now seeing recently, really since November. Uh, so we work ourselves through the warrant issue, go through a sizable amount of restatements, a lot of valuation considerations, et cetera. And then the next shoe that drops was kind of the classification issue that we had on some of the instruments within the SPACs. Um, typically there were what was what was called, normally called class A shares, um they were issued those shares are are, are, are redeemable from the, the holder of those instruments and you know there was typically a presentation where uh part of those shares well the majority of those shares was sitting within mezzanine or outside of permanent equity and there was a small amount that remained within permanent equity and and so demetrius i wonder, wonder if you might just kind of talk about some of the noise that we saw and what the impacts were of the the, the staff coming forward on some classification changes for what what we're talking about now with these Class A shares,
0: yeah, that's that was a, a, a another interesting twist that happened in the market. Um, for for the, the, a considerable period of time, there was a significant amount of the uh, SPAC sponsors' of financial reporting, financial statements, where they classified a certain amount of those Class A shares in permanent equity um, versus mezzanine equity, and and I don't want to get too accounting accounting uh, geeky here, but basically um, the the accounting guidance indicates that if you have redemption features for cash, you got to put that those instruments in, into a mezzanine equity section, so it's out of your traditional e- equity table. Um, the reason the reason you do that is so that an, a reader, an investor, or financial reader, whoever the case may be, understands that there are that while these have a lot of equity features, there's still instrument, there's still um, terms in those agreements that, that will allow for a cash settlement or redemption um, and, and highlights that point so it's not sitting in permanent equity. And what's happening, the way these deals are structured, there's about $5 million that has to be left behind uh, upon a DSPAC. spac that's, that's how the, the, the SPAC D-SPAC transactions are structured, and there was an assumption made that because the five million has to has to stick around after the d back happens, five million would stay in permanent equity, and the rest would go into into uh, mezzanine equity. Um, and, and and not to get uh, in, 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 into further uh, noise here. That also impacted um, some of the listing agents as well and and whether they could list if they didn't have a certain amount of equity on their financial statements um, with, when the Warren issue happened. So um, the staff started seeing a discrepancy in, in, in presentation where some of the firms uh, were presenting or the, the, the SPAC sponsors were pre- presenting the, the 5 million in permanent equity and some were presenting it in mezzanine equity. And ultimately the staff started sending out comment letters uh, questioning the filers about where, where the presentation should be, um, and the determination was that all the shares have redemption features, and if they have redemption features, they should all be classified in mezzanine equity, um, and, and, and fortunately, you know, the followers we were dealing with, that that's where we landed, um, but that did cause a, a bunch of noise and, and sort of the second wave of restatements in, uh, in the marketplace from a financial statement standpoint.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Appreciate that. And I and I think we're still start, still seeing at, at, at least from a market perspective, we're still seeing a lot of those restatements come through as as the as the SPACs evaluate you know the materiality of those uh, of those what would be considered an error in most of those financial statements and, and what that means from a financial statement presentation standpoint. Uh, so I, hopefully hopefully we've kind of worked through all those issues and we'll we'll can we'll we'll just trudge forward at this point. I, Think just from a convergence standpoint. I think well, you know there may have been some differences between what was accounted for from a SPAC perspective and what was accounted for from a typical uh, operating company. Ho- hopefully, we've conferred converged those to a point where uh, we've got some consistency through uh, through that presentation. Switching gears a little bit uh, now into more of the transition of what we're thinking and what we're seeing as, as companies are getting outside of the spec into a despec piece um maybe just one more for you demetrius i've got here and, and maybe it's a little outside of the accounting aspects it touches on uh, uh both pieces of it but thinking about some of the transition issues with SPACs, how how can a company how can the decision makers really kind of navigate their spac transitions effectively what are we seeing in our in, in our
0: own in our own clients so this is an interesting question, and 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 the reason it's interesting because it's it's evolving, right? The more D-spac transactions that we're seeing, um, you're seeing a different level of preparedness um, in in the operating company that's that's going to become the new public company. Um, and and frankly, I mean, there, there's four buckets, real buckets that we're we're seeing that are there's major focus on, um, sort of finance and sh- and street readiness, right? Um, what are they thinking about with regards to operating metrics um, and, you know, guidance strategies and financial reporting and, and, and all that stuff I think is, is, um, is, is one major bucket that is, is sort of a big transition, right? Because you're going from a private company that didn't have to worry about regular um, um, financial um, evaluation of, of what your numbers will look like on a, comp- on a quarterly basis um, to now having to do that, and to some extent, depending on on the market cap of the of the company uh, what, what what sort of guidance you want to put out there and how you're dealing with invest, uh, investor relations um, next bucket that that I think is an, a major one and an important one is sort of audit tax readiness um, to make sure that um, you know the filer is thinking about you know quarterly reporting that has to happen now on a regular basis, uh, closing the books. Uh, regular um uh, cadence of of getting your auditors in to go through all the financial information press releasing etc afterwards and 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 similarly all the account all the tax issues that that line up with that um the next major major bucket that i think is important to think about is, is sort of legal readiness um and and uh dealing with all the various legal areas that that are going to arise being in a different regulatory environment including uh, cap tables and things of that sort. Um, there's also consideration of, when I think of legal and I move into, you know, the, the human capital side of things and making sure you're, you, you, you've evaluated compensation structures, equity structures and things of that sort, um, because now you're a public company, you have shares, option uh, plans, um, uh, restricted stock plans, things of that sort. And then, last but not least, corporate governance uh, is another major area where there's there's big transitions here now. Both um, at the board level, um, um, uh, committees that need to be put together, audit committee, uh, audit committees, compensation committees, um, and 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 various other ones that that should be evaluated. And and frankly, composition of the board, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And and do we have the right uh, uh, board members and, and just, just a completely different corporate structure, um, because now the accountability is is to a much larger investor base uh, that's going to have a significant more expectations. So those are some of the, the major buckets that I think um, a, a de-SPAC operating company needs to be thinking about in, in the first 12 months of, of their uh, operating cycle. Okay. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I think what I hear if I sum all that up is that is that there's a lot to do. Um, and there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, dumbing it down for myself. I, I think what many target companies often think about is that, you know, a, a going public strategy through a SPAC could be an expedited path um, than a, maybe a traditional IPO. But I, I think that the point that probably could be made, and, and it's f- probably fairly obvious, that the more uh, prepared and ready a target company is to look and act as a public company uh, will ease that process and certainly decrease, I think, the effort and the time on the company's behalf and, and likely a lot of the costs that go with ramping up very quickly. So I, th- I think all those are great points, Demetrius. What, what do you see and just kind of what do you think about what's the future hold for SPACs? Are we gonna see activity increase? Is the peak behind us
0: or is the best yet to come? What, what, do, you, what do you think you, we see here? so so i get the crystal ball question which is always which is always the hard one but 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 also the easy one as well because uh no one will remember what i say but I, I i think i do have some views that uh could be valuable for everyone um you know i think if you look back at 21 we had a strong year um there were a lot of challenges uh the market rebounded in in at the end of the year like i mentioned before and what was interesting about the rebound um, that it's there is there is a perception, um, and and maybe there's some reality to it that that it was a little bit more favorable to IPO investors, um, and that could result in in the likelihood of of some successful spec de-spac transactions occurring, right? So so there's that element that I think will uh, t- time will tell in in 22 and how that plays out, and I think that's an important factor. Um, and, and how the market continues um, in the middle to later part of 22, because you'll see the lifespan of these vehicles now, right? Once, once they start hitting um, 12 months, 18 months, and two years, and, and they're coming at risk of expiring, um, we'll see how, how successful they execute. I, I do believe the vehicle is here to stay, and, and I think the market believes that as well. Um, and, and clearly there's been significant, um, success up to this point from, from an execution standpoint, um, Mm -hmm. the valuation side after the d is, is the question and, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, one of the big factors that I also think will impact the market next year, um, is the attention that it's, it's gotten from Congress and the SEC. Um, and it seems like there's 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 plenty of proposals out there that are um, being evaluated by Congress and and the SEC to evaluate SPAC and and potentially um, is there any preferential treatment compared to a traditional IPO and you know are there any risks of of, of abuse with with the with the retail investor there is uh, HR 5910 which which talks about forward-looking statements and I think that's going to be evaluated in 22. Um, and and how that impacts the um, the spac vehicle and, and and how it goes public and HR 5913, which um, is a proposal that's out there that could prohibit uh, the retail investor in participating in SPAC. That's that's a bit more radical, but these are the type of things that are out there. In additional, in addition to additional disclosure, etc. Um, and and for those that have, have uh, are familiar with the new chairman Gessler, um, you know he's. And, and 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 he's indicated other high-ranking officials. You know they they're they're paying attention to this market, right? And and, and they're they've highlighted many times there's additional disclosure requirements related to conflict of interest, etc. Um, and and they've raised some concern about the marketing process um, and and maybe the lack of traditional gatekeepers uh, in the D-spac process compared to a traditional IPO. Um, and and while I. You know, I, I bring that up because I think there's going to be developments in '22 um, related to all this, and 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 I think that that's going to impact the market. Uh, but but nevertheless, to say I do think that while the vehicle is is sort of young, it's existed for a while, but it's sort of young that that it's really gained a lot of momentum in the lot in the next few years. Um, I think '22 is going to be fluid and dynamic. Um, and it and it's going to it's going to continue to evolve uh, but i think it's it's there's you're going to continue seeing activity I, I don't think it'll be the level of activity that you saw in the first quarter of 21 but you'll continue to see activity and there's you know we're going to learn a lot more about um what 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 the you know what the vehicle does up on the despack and and how successful that is and you know, the valuations once there's a larger body of work to, uh, to evaluate. So a, a lot to expect in 22. Um, and, and I think some of it's going to be impacted by the, the regulatory markets. There still is a lot of cash flow out there um, that's going to be deployed. Obviously, we're still in a very frothy capital markets. Uh, so as long as that's there, you'll you'll continue to see activity here. And and we'll see we'll see where that all goes. So that's my that's my uh, synopsis, Mike. Hopefully, that was um, covered some of your thoughts on on where the where the market's going.
1: No, th- th- those are great points, and I, and I and I think I echo a, a number of them. I think from a regulatory perspective, I think there's a lot we're going to learn here over the coming months to figure out whether um, it creates headwinds or it's just a situation where people understand the new rules, they evolve, and then they adapt, and the market continues on. I think that you know the discussion about the vehicle being viable I think is still there Uh, I'm sure there are some in the marketplace who wonder how many viable targets are out there that that meet the valuation metrics that the SPACs are looking to achieve once once there and how prepared those companies are so I think there are some things out there uh, but I I, but I like your views I, I, I think they make sense Demetrius this was great I want to thank you for joining today and especially for sharing some of your insights I also want to thank all of the participants for joining today if you have any questions about what we've covered In this episode, please reach out to either myself or Demetrius and see how BDO can assist. Thank you. Thank you for listening
0: to BDO Spotlight on SPACs. Past episodes and more information about BDO SPAC practice are available at bdo.com slash spotlight on SPACs. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO.